We all think about what we eat. We plan our meals or count carbs or do any number of things when it comes to what we put into our bodies. But do you ever think about the flavor of what you consume? Sure you do. What we eat or drink either tastes good or it doesn't. In fact, taste is the number one consideration for what we consume. Yet, there's more to it than just like or dislike. And there's even a whole industry dedicated to it. Flavor is memory. Flavor is feeling. Flavor is science. Flavor is art. Flavor is McCormick Fauna. I'm Corey Doucette, and welcome to our Flavor University podcast, where we explore the science, artistry, and industry behind flavor. Education is never a waste. Everything we learn gives us a chance to grow as human beings and experience life in all its facets. From a flavor perspective, someone somewhere had to be the first to eat something new and teach others about it. They had to then educate them if it was safe, nutritious, and above all else, tasted good. Here at McCormick Fauna, in our community education division, that's exactly what we do. We taste, we learn, and we teach. As the podcast tagline states, we teach the science behind flavor. And what better place to start than with our community? Its children and its educators are learning from the best and bringing it to them is today's guest, Community Education Director Katie Sudler. Hi, Katie. Thanks for coming. Hi, Corey. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Katie, let's start with your introduction. Who are you? What do you do for Fona? And how did you get here? All Not right. in this room specifically, but to <laughs> McCormick Fona, please. So I studied food and nutrition at Purdue. And it wasn't until my very last semester before I graduated that I learned about the food industry. I had no idea that the food industry existed. And after I smelled my first flavor, I knew instantly I wanted to work in the food industry and better yet, the flavor industry. I started in the industry 20 years ago in a regulatory position and then moved into a marketing role, lost my job due to a corporate buyout, and I went back to school to become a teacher. So I got my teaching certificate, um, my master's in child, youth, and family studies, Um, I'm certified to teach health and foods, family um, consumer sciences, and I wasn't quite ready to leave the flavor industry. I just love being in the industry. I love participating in product development and um, everything that the industry embodies. And so I came to Fona and met with a couple folks, and they wanted to invest in communicating what we do at Fona with the community and with educators and students in the direct community. So When I started working at Fona 10 years ago, we started a program called Discover Fona. We wanted to reach out to the community and educate teachers and students and give people an opportunity to learn what the food industry and flavor industry is all about, just to kind of make them a little bit less scared of some of the ingredients that are in their food. That's kind of how it got started. And 10 years later, we've connected with over 15,000 students and teachers We've had some amazing experiences, some wonderful students that have come in in high school and again in college as college interns. And then now we're working in the food industry. So we've made some really positive impacts on some young people's lives. I don't know if a lot of people think about this when they're thinking of working in the food industry, but the food industry is not just, you know, cooking at a restaurant or being a chef. There's a lot of chemistry and math and science to it that just always escapes me. So like when somebody says, oh, I have a chemistry degree and I work at Fona, you know, it it sets me back just a half a second there just to realize that, yeah, you're mixing chemicals, chemistry, Mm -hmm. to make some form of flavor. And I know from seeing like a little bit of, of what you do in the auditorium or at Fona, just, you know, watching kids like looking like tiny scientists while Mm -hmm. you're teaching them what to do next, um, which we'll talk about some of the experiments you do a little later. And one of them, which I won't touch, 
uh, but we'll talk about that too. But I don't see you that often in the office. I see you more kind of walking either through the building or out of the building or whatever on your way somewhere else. But I'm going to ask you anyways, what's, what's the day in the life look like in this position? So obviously every day is a little bit different. Some days we're at career fairs at school. Some days we're connecting with some community organizations, maybe a rotary club or something like that, just to make some certain connections or inroads into the community. We host teacher institute days. So we have all sorts of things, different opportunities to connect with the community on a weekly basis. So every day does look a lot different. I'm a perpetual bag lady, so I'm constantly carrying things around. Um, I never know never know where any of my things are just because I'm constantly carrying um, all of my ingredients and chemicals, different experiments um, throughout the building or throughout the community. So when you're teaching these people, how, how is the class for you structured? We like to keep the classes somewhat small just so we can make sure that we really are connecting with the students. We want people to be able to voice quest- or voice their own questions, um, maybe If they've got concerns, we can use this as a forum to speak about things. But what we do is we have maybe 20, 30, 40 um, max students in or teachers um, into the building or in a classroom at a high school or middle school. Um, And what we do is we start with what's a chemical or what's your favorite flavor and then kind of progress from there. Our, Our whole point is making a connection to the things that they're learning in school, biology, chemistry, statistics, and trying to make those connections to what careers and what we actually do um, at FONA or in the food industry. So that's kind of where we start is we start by talking about our favorites and our favorite flavors, talking about what chemicals are. So water is a chemical and then kind of start giving them opportunities to smell and to taste different things. You want to do a quick experiment and I can show you. I mean, I'm always down for a surprise experiment. Yeah, let's do this. All right. Katie has just opened a paper bag of just things. Uh, she's got some vials in there. It looks like she's got some candy going on. One of them looks like to be a pinwheel peppermint. And the other is a gummy worm. What flavor is that? Is that cola? Cola. Cola. So I guess we're going to do some kind of experiment here. Now, you've all all heard my love of mint or lack thereof. So why don't we start with that? What, what are we doing here, Katie? Okay. So what I'm going to have you do is we're going to um, we're going to open a mint or get any candy or food item that you enjoy eating or kind of want to do this experiment with anything that's within an arm's reach. Um, you can do this experiment with. So go ahead and you grab a food item. And what you do is you're going to plug your nose. And when your nose is plugged, you're actually eliminating the ability to smell, right? So we have two different ways we can smell. One is through the front of our nose and one is through the back of our throat. So what we're doing is we're eliminating the ability for air to flow through our nose. So you're going to put the mint or gum or piece of candy or food item in your mouth with your nose plugged first. Food item goes in second. And while you're chewing it or eating it, you have a really reduced ability to smell or taste your food. So you might taste sweetness, you might taste some saltiness, depending on what you put in your mouth, but it's not until you unplug your nose that you get the ability to really smell and experience what that flavor is. So flavor truly is aroma. We work with with a lot of aroma chemicals to make flavors. Flavor chemists create the flavors and make essentially the flavor of the food, but it's not something you experience on your tongue. It's something that you experience in your mouth. So you nose plugged, food in your mouth, Once you are chewing it or interacting with that food item, you unplug your nose and then you should get that aroma of the food. And that's one of my favorite experiments that I can do with students because it truly shows them how important flavor is in the food. So flavor naturally is in apples or bananas or vegetables. 
but we can also create flavors to put into beverages that wouldn't necessarily be in a beverage or in a piece of candy or chewing gum or something like that. So that's my favorite experiment. And then we really start smelling and heightening the senses with different aromas and making different flavors with different smelling strips. When you're doing this experiment, you know, you said it can be done with pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. Why is it that when we're doing the experiment, yes, we can't get the full extent of the flavor, but we still get that sweeter, that sour. What is it about our anatomy that's basically saying, you can still taste this. Also, those who have had COVID may have experienced this, so they Mm -hmm. don't need to plug their nose kind of thing. But what is it about our anatomy that, you know, still allows us those maybe basic tastes? Right. Right. So that's exactly what it is. It's the basic taste. So you're experiencing the basic, basic taste on your tongue, but the airflow is not moving through your nose. So you're not really getting any of those flavor molecules into your nose until you un- unplug your nose. So you're essentially, when you block one pipe, water doesn't flow through, right? So it's not until you take your hand off maybe a straw that water can kind of fall out of the straw. That kind of visual for you hopefully helps you understand how that how the science of that works. Absolutely. I mean, the, the flavor molecule right there makes sense. And right. did you know that you have a dominant nostril? I mean, just because just we're talking about noses, if you plug one side of your nose or the other, you can figure out which one of your nostrils is the dominant nostril. And I know this for two reasons. Well, one reason actually is because I have sleep apnea. And whenever I'm sick, I can, I can only, usually it's only my right nostril that will allow me to breathe using the machine. Food for thought. There you go. So if you're doing this test, you may only have to block one nostril. That's interesting. So one of my, one of the coolest things I think is I have, we all have experienced illness at some point and had to take some disgusting medicine, right? Mm -hmm. So one of my kids one time at the doctor's office was going to have some really nasty medicine. The doctor said, plug, plug their nose, put the medicine in their mouth. And before you unplug their nose, put ice cream, put a scoop of ice cream in their mouth and let it sit. Let them experience the cool and the flavor of the ice cream first and then unplug their nose so that your brain is actually stops focusing on what the nasty medicine is and starts focusing on the sweetness and the cool and the flavor of the ice cream, which was really interesting. So if you're ever trying to get your kids to taste something or try something pretty nasty or they have to take some medicine, try that route. All right, we've got another experiment to try here. What what are we doing? Okay, so this is essentially designed for anybody to do anywhere you live. If you want to do it with your kids, do it with a school, um, or just do it for yourself. It's a lot of fun. We're going to make a flavor. Um, So you've got four different components. The first one we're going to smell is, you can just buy these at the grocery store. Um, Any brand will do. Grab your vanilla extract. So... Mm. Smells like ice cream and all the deliciousness that you'd always want. And just so you guys know, I've got four little flavors or or extracts in front of me at this point in time. Uh, The first one being a nice, oh, I'd say light brown kind of look to it. This is the vanilla that we're smelling, you know, typical of any, you know, chocolate chip cookie you've ever made or incense you've ever burned. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So nice and creamy and delicious. Wonderful. Um, the second one you're going to smell is, let's see if you can guess it. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a cinnamon. It's strong. Yep. It's cinnamon extract. So again, you can buy that at the grocery store in the baking aisle um, with the liquid extracts. And the third one. And that cinnamon just for everyone is very amber in color. Um, it's very influencing on my decision of what it actually is. Yeah. Kind of uh, spicy though. Yeah, definitely. This one is kind of yellow, uh, but like very light. Oh, 
<laughs> this one kind of smells like cleaner to me, like a citrus. Absolutely. So a lot of like the degreasers or cleaning agents are citrus-based because those there are components in there that are really good for degreasing. That's why we typically connect it to cleaners. But it's a citrus or a um, lemon oil. So that's the third one. I like that one a lot, actually. All right. And this last one, this one's hard to put my my finger on. Like, it's a derivative of the other one, obviously. Yeah. But I don't know specifically which scent it is. Um, the top says lime. Yep. So it's a lime extract. So we have vanilla, cinnamon, lemon, and lime extract. So if you put all four of those smelling strips together, um, let's see if Corey can guess what Should they are. Should I put are. them one on top of the other or just together and fan them at me or what? Yeah, you can do that. That's fine. So you can okay. do like little dropper on a cotton ball. You can get a Q-tip and um, put some uh, extract on those. You can get some cardstock and make little strips. But all four of them together, it's kind of tricky. It's not 100% because it's not a one-to-one ratio. It smells like I should be drinking this. <laughs> it smells like you should be drinking it. You're getting closer. Like... Is this like a, a carbonated beverage of some sort that it, I'm smelling here? It's definitely got a lot of, it's hard to place. It is. It's really hard to place. So it's actually probably closer to a candy than it is the beverage, but it is a beverage flavor. It's a cola flavor. So you can actually get like the cola gummy bear. Haribo candy makes a gummy, a cola gummy bear, and there's some other brands as well. But it kind of re- is reminiscent because it's stronger citrus, reminiscent of the Haribo gummy bear cola candies but it's a cola flavor. So we can make juicy fruit flavors, strawberry flavors. We can make all sorts of different flavors at Fona. So just an an idea to show the students how mixing different chemical components together can create something completely unimaginable. Something out of nothing. Yes, kind of something out of nothing. I've been waving these in front of my nose for like the past, like two, like since you've been speaking. And I'm just like, that's nice. That's not that I like sniff cola, like, you know, on a regular basis, but I'm just like, oh, I really want to drink this. You I know. know. What, who is, oh, it's, which one is like the, guess the 32 flavors or that, that's Baskin Dr. Rock. Pepper. That's it. That's it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like that's what I'm doing here. Yeah. So we've done that actually as a fun little demo for Take Your Child to Work Day is making Dr. Pepper flavors and by putting all sorts of different things together. But for this cola one, you can throw some orange extract in there, some cherry extract if you want to, and kind of change um, the perception. Or that, And that's what a flavorist would do too, by adding little components of something else um, changes what the smell and maybe ultimately what the taste is. Your take your child to work day. I can't wait to bring my child, my daughter next year. She'll be, uh-huh. I mean, she was probably old enough this year, but it was virtual again, which is a cool concept. You guys did a virtual take your child to work day and you just, you sent all the experiments home and the, the employees children just got to, you know, do them virtually with you and other scientists from, from the company, which awesome. And hopefully next year we get to do it in person and I get to bring my, my daughter because I tell her about it all the time. Like, do you know what daddy did today? And she'd be like, what did she like? What you eat daddy? And I'm just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, these experiments are amazing. And they, every time, you know, I see one of these or try one of these myself, I'm just amazed at what we do. And, okay. you know, I hope everybody in our industry knows, you know, they're doing something that they were educated to do and that they're, they're really contributing to science and, and making all this and making food taste better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you're doing these tests or when you're teaching these classes, Who's easier to engage, the teachers or the students? 
Um, both. It's a completely different experience. So obviously, if a teacher brings in 20 students, not every kid's going to be interested in food or the food industry or careers um, or even going on to a job after high school. Um, but when you engage with a teacher, you can have a room full of teachers from Spanish teachers to statistics teachers, PE teachers, chemistry, physics, and they all see a connection to what they're teaching when they walk through our building and hear what we're saying. So really, I love connecting with teachers because they can really envision how what they're teaching their students becomes a true tool for them, maybe as a, in a future career or in the food industry. Not without saying I love interacting with students. I think it's really important to kind of help mold the minds of young people and giving kids an opportunity when they're requesting uh, to come into FONA to come in for a job shadow or just a tour or have an opportunity to talk to a food scientist. That's really a sweet spot because you have a child who's interested and somebody that's really passionate about learning maybe more about them and what their future might hold. Yeah. Some of our, our scientists, our lab people, and are just so passionate about what they're doing. I, I walk in to fix a computer and I walk out with an education. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's ridiculous what they are working with and how much they care. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, especially when you're trying to expose children to new things, the people that are going to expose them are their parents and their teachers. Mm-hmm. So I think giving them this new avenue to think about is is very important when it comes to deciding if you're going to do a career in the food industry. Right. Right. And there is so much biology and chemistry um, behind food that it it is it's important for teachers to talk about the food industry and food in general, because there's so many different things we can teach students about it, um, not just the chemistry and biology, but nutrition and things that we're going to need for their future when they're adults. And you always want to try and find a job that will be there forever. Mm-hmm. And everybody Every, eats. Everybody needs to eat. Oh. When you're talking to these students and teachers, like, do you ever advise the children like what career to look for or look at when it comes to interest in food sciences? Not necessarily. I actually have a sheet of paper that I give to all the students, every student and teacher that comes into FONA. That's a list of careers that we have at FONA. Um, so all the different job categories, whether it's operations or product development or on the business side, there's a list of all the different careers and a little description behind um, each of those because I think it's really important for kids to not only say, oh, I want to be in product development or I want to be in research and development. What does that mean, number one? So a little definition about what each one is, but how does it how does it connect to what everybody else does? Because we know that IT or product development or sweeping the floors um, in a facilities role, they all have a major impact on the business. So everybody's job is really important and everybody's job plays a role and has a connection to somebody else's. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the class. What what are your main topics in the class? Like what what's your starting, ending, middle points? Like how how does the flow go? The flow of each class is different for whatever class is coming in. So if biology class is coming in versus a foods class, we're going to be talking about the food industry a little bit differently. And I'm going to pull in some special speakers and even some hands-on demonstrations differently for each each class and each learning opportunity. Uh, We had a math class one time come in and they wanted to talk about how we use math. So we had our pricing um, analyst, we had maybe an accountant um, talk, somebody in finance or somebody in uh, marketing talk, and then somebody from even like a product development standpoint 
um, using statistics to kind of verify some of the things that we're doing. So there's a lot of different maybe connectivity points, things that you don't even really realize. So it depends on what class we're talking to, what we're actually going to be doing from a hands-on perspective or what special speakers we're going to bring in. The one thing that I always try to make sure that we do when we're talking to students is kind of that positive messaging around what the food industry is all about, positive messaging about FONA, um, McCormick FONA, as a company in the community. Because when we're engaging with the community, we want to make sure that students understand why they're there, not only to make the connection to their classroom, but to make the connection to how we impact their lives. Um, so that positive messaging really is probably what will go the farthest. Kids might forget what I say and how it connects to chemistry tomorrow, um, but I think it'll have an even further lasting impact on what kind of company McCormick is and what kind of company or what kind of industry the food industry is. Um, that's probably the longer term impact and the most impact. So from these classes, obviously a lot of imagination gets sparked, career paths may be set. Have you ever followed any of the specific students and seen where they ended up? Yes. So we actually had one of our very first students that did an internship or a job shadow at FONA wanted to be a chef. And when he applied to culinary school, they actually told him he needed to get his degree in food science before becoming a chef because he needed to really understand the fundamentals and the science behind it before he could become and try to kind of hone in on his creativity um, side of being a chef. We've had several kids graduate with degrees in food science and land at many companies across the industry. So beverage, food, confection, and all sorts of different, all sorts of different companies in the food industry. So you're making connections all the time. So whether it's connections with somebody in your class or just community connections, do any of these connections you make come back and present in your class and talk to to prospective culinary career seekers? Not necessarily come back to FONA, but we do, um, we certainly do have a lot of kids that graduate from college and start working at FONA that give back. They see the importance of what we've done out in the community and they love giving back to whether it's their high school, if they grew up locally or to their university. So those are really important things to continue that cycle of giving back that cycle of positive messaging and keeping those connections because that's tr- that truly is what the industry is about is keeping those connections. Um, it's a very large industry um, that feels really small because connectivity is really, is really big in the food industry. I just picture you like the, you know, the mayor of like, I mean, I'm sorry, Guy Fieri, but I picture you like the mayor of Flavortown and you just, <laughs> oh. you know, walking around going, I know you, I know you, <laughs> you know, I had to have you do this with me or help me with this or whatever. I'll be the mayor of Flavortown. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That sounds great, Mayor uh, Mayor Sudler. Everybody takes a different path to get to their career. I started working by putting in carpet. I went to circus camp. I went to aviation camp. I was in insurance, and now I'm here. So like you said, a lot of experiences, a lot of work paths – you know, are, are good, you know, mm-hmm. will get you wherever you want to be. What, what was your career path? What was your first job? Um, so my first job was, was in the flavor industry. That's cheating. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I had no idea that the food industry existed. Let's remember that. So until a couple months before I was set to graduate and the second I smelled my first flavor, I knew instantly I needed to work in the flavor industry. And that's exactly what my email said to the HR director is, 
I want to work for you because I'm intrigued and I'm slowly becoming or quickly becoming very passionate about um, what you do. So my first job was in regulatory. So that's looking at different regulations, kosher versus non-kosher. We pay tax on everything that uses alcohol or ethanol as a base. So I did some things with some like tax drawback. I'm working with um, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms at the time. Natural, artificial, all those things. That's kind of what I started with in the industry. And then after that transitioned into a marketing role. And I worked in across different business units. So uh, beverage, alcoholic beverage, um, confection, dairy, bakery, and then lost my job due, due to the corporate buyout. Lost my job, got my teaching certificate, was hopefully going to be a teacher and then just couldn't even stay away from the industry. So, I mean, everybody's path, I think, if you have if you have a windy path, I think that that's, that makes your skill set um, that you're going to use later on that much more that much more useful and you a more interesting person and maybe more more capable of handling a curveball every once in a while. So I did start in the industry. I, I did cheat. I went straight straight for it. Well, you know, if you know what you want to do, do it. <laughs> I was a teacher for three instances. And then I realized that although I do like presenting things, I am not good at teaching children that I, I, I am more like a child than able to teach a child. So, you know, you can ask my kids who the fun one is. They'll tell you every time it's, it's not, it's not, you know, it's me. It's me. <laughs> Cause I am more ridiculous and that's just how it is. And that's perfectly fine. But let's get to the point mm-hmm. of our podcast where we talk about the important stuff. Okay. What are your takeaways, Katie? What do we want to tell everyone listening? What's, what's the message? So my, the, the thing that I think I've learned the most is that whatever you're doing, whatever industry you work in, whatever job you are holding at the time, make sure that you're communicating and you're connecting to schools or to students. Talk to people about what you do. Find a career fair. Local schools are dying for people to come in to talk about what they do, especially if you've got something interesting or a hands-on demo or pictures you can show. Um, it makes it that much more engaging and that much more interesting for students. Right now, they know about being a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse, a teacher. They don't really know all the different careers unless their parents or an aunt or an uncle or a neighbor is doing a different kind of a job. So the more that you can engage a teacher, a student, a school, the better off our whole community is and our future workforce. So that's kind of where our passion lies at FONA is connecting with students and helping hopefully guide some of the really good, strong, smart minds towards the food industry because we need fabulous food scientists to help with all the allergens and all the health and um, wellness issues that we're facing in our nation and in our world. That's kind of where my passion is. And a lot of these these careers in food science too are, are STEM careers, mm-hmm. you know, important needed positions to fill. But Amazing. And so glad that there are people like you that spread these messages of, you know, inclusivity and, you know, here's what's actually out there, you know, absolutely great. Great. So we're going to end the podcast pretty soon, but of course we always start the end of the podcast with my, my takeaway questions Uh, really quick off the top of your head. Feel free to decline the answer if it becomes too spicy. Do you encourage your children to join the food industry? And if so, what positions are, would you steer them towards? Yeah, um, my daughter, actually, my both 
both of my girls are very interested in food. They love cooking. They love experimenting. If you have a child that loves to try things or experiment with things, product development is something that's super fun for them to be able to develop and play and mix and create something that you and I can go buy at the grocery store. That's probably one of the most exciting roles that a, that a food scientist or a student can kind of dream of, of being. So my kids, I've got three kids. One does not want to have anything to do with the food industry because that's, he thinks mom talks too much about it. Um, but my other two love the food industry and would absolutely love to be a part of it, whether it's in marketing or product development. Um, they've seen all different sides of the food industry. They actually think I play all day long because when I come home to want to try a new experiment um, and we do the, the experiments together with them, they think that that's all I do is play. So that's kind of probably one of the most exciting things for them is seeing me play and seeing different things come to fruition. Most difficult job that you've held in the food industry? So for me, I'm not, I'm not a person who's, whose attention to detail is spot on. So regulatory was something that I struggled with. I know some people have amazing careers in regulatory, but it was, it was not my cup of tea. Um, once I transitioned into a marketing role and had the ability to be I'm a lot more creative, even though I did need the attention to detail still when I was doing pricing or different customer proposals. That's kind of where my attention to detail, but it was still super fascinating to me. So I didn't mind, mind when I had to be very detail oriented, but marketing is, was my favorite gig for sure. Last question, weirdest flavor you've either tasted or been a part of creating? Something that really pops into my mind instantly was we created a new kind of cereal or a new, not kind of cereal, new flavor for a cereal that was a cola flavored crispy rice product. And once you put milk in it and let it sit for a while, it kind of became that whole black cow ice cream and cola taste. And it was delicious. It was absolutely delicious. Some of the citrus notes from the cola came out and mixed with the creaminess of the milk. And it was it was my favorite. It's not on the grocery store shelves. I was just going to ask that if it's still available. <laughs> it was never available, but it was delicious. Oh, man. That's, that's a shame right there. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Maybe we should uh, go back into the lab on that one. <laughs> well, that's it for the Flavor University podcast. I'm Corey Doucette, and I'd like to thank our special guest, Katie Sudler, for joining us today. Thanks for listening, and until next time, the flavor of McCormick Fona is the flavor of life. So go out and taste it. 